and uh, stand with me, if you will, for the reading of God's Word. James chapter 1, James chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of any kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossoms falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade even while he goes about his business. Lord, bless your word. Multiply it in our hearts today. Help us, Lord, to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let me ask you, how, how do you view difficult circumstances? And as I begin this series uh, on James and I begin this message today, I realize it seems like I've been talking about difficult circumstances a lot. We, we went through uh, Joseph, the life of Joseph, through the, the lost series, and, and it seems like I, I, I've been focusing on difficult circumstances and, and maybe it's, it's getting old to you. I hope not. Uh, maybe you're saying, Pastor, can't you preach a happy message? And I guess the answer is, apparently not. I can't. Uh, I, guess I, you know, I guess I'm not a, a prosperity preacher. I'm a doom and gloom preacher, which I don't know if that's good either. But, you know, I, I think it's probably good to, to hear these things because life is hard at times. And, and I think it's important that we understand how to live through difficult circumstances. Uh, I think it's important to understand how to live when things are going well as well, but, but it seems like life has a lot of chaos, a lot of issues, and, and for some reason we're, we're dealing with this issue quite a bit. So, so how do you view difficult circumstances? In, in your bulletin there's a sheet, and I'm going to give you like 30 seconds, 45 seconds, and, and it's a place where you can write difficulties you're going through. Uh, or have been going through. And so uh, take the next 30 seconds, things that you've went through the last year, things you've went through, and, and, and if you don't want to put any of the difficult things you're going through, just draw a funny face of me, okay? But look like you're doing something. Just write some of those things down. We'll take about 30 seconds, and, and then I'll start speaking again. Go ahead and do that. And, and you can continue on that list as I speak. Uh, you know one thing I found out, and, and it, <laughs> you know, as a preacher, you know, most of the time I'm standing up here. 
uh, every once in a while somebody else will preach, and so I sit out there. And what I realize for myself is oftentimes I listen just as well while I'm doing other things as when I'm looking directly at somebody. And so I understand if you're like that. I am not offended when you're looking down, writing, uh, even sometimes texting, because I know some, some of you folks have to be doing ten things to think about one thing, right? Say amen with me because I know it's true. So if you need to be continuing to write on the list, that's okay. I understand that. Uh, be thinking about that as we're speaking. What are you going through? What hardships are you going through? And, 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 and you know, the, the question is how do you view difficult circumstances and the difficulties that you happen to have in life? I, I think how we view difficult circumstances is important. Do you guys think that's important? You guys have got to wake up this morning, okay? We just did, un don't make me bring Ryan back up to get you guys clapping again. How we view difficult circumstances, the hardship of life's important. I mean, we, we, we all know the quotes, you know, what, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger, you know, those kind of things. Here's a couple quotes on this ideal. Uh, this is Ralph Waldo Emerson, and so the, the Waldo that you look for, that's this guy, okay? It's the guy in the, the that was a joke, but doesn't have to... Bad times have a scientific value. They are occasions a good learner would not miss. Helen Keller says, Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, vision cleared, ambition inspired, and success achieved. So, so we're all familiar, and, and fundamentally, if, if we were, somebody were to say, yeah, hard times make you stronger, we would all say, yeah, they do. Uh, but sometimes that, that objective truth is harder to, to grab onto in our subjective lives, right? Uh, it's easy when, when, it, when it's Chuck that's going through a hard time for me as a pastor to say, those are just making you stronger, brother. But it's a lot harder when it's me going through the hard times. And, and so this subjective part of this and how we handle uh, difficult circumstances is important, but not always easy. Uh, over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at the book of James. Through, throughout the summer, we'll be looking at the book of James. And, and James begins by addressing this issue. As a matter of fact, the very first words after his introduction, verse 2 is, Consider it all joy. When you go through various trials, uh, consider it joy when life is bad. <laughs> you know, James is a book, starting from verse 2 and really verse 1, that makes us think. Uh, James is not an easy book. James is not a feel-good book. James is not a book for a lazy believer. James is a book that at times almost feels harsh. As a matter of fact, the, the, the faith of James is almost a radical faith. Radical compared to our culture, for sure. You know, our, our culture doesn't teach some of the, the concepts, I believe, that, that James teaches. You know, James is, you can't be lazy in your faith. You can't be passive in your faith. Your faith can't be words only. It's not about whether it feels good or not. And so there's often times that the faith of James is almost uncomfortable to our modern sensibilities. Uh, it almost seems harsh. Anybody ever felt like reading James? You know, at times James is almost harsh compared to what we're used to hearing. 
But, but I want you to know that the, the error is not in James. <laughs> the error is in our culture. And, and where our culture runs counter to the Word of God, it's not the Word of God that is an error. It is our culture. And, and so to the extent that James offends maybe modern ears, uh, the problem lies with the modern ears. You know, today's culture says, if it feels good, do it. And we run towards what is easy and what feels good. And yet James says, consider it all joy when you go through difficult circumstances. So this radical faith of James embraces difficult circumstances. I want you to look at your list, if you filled out your list. James says, these things, <laughs> consider them all joy. See, see, that's the word of God applied to your present life. James is saying those things that you wrote down, those hardships, those difficulties, those things that you're running from, <laughs> consider them all joy pure joy. Now, now, James isn't simply putting a smiley face. Hey, Josh, could you do me a favor? Could you get me water? Now, don't get it in your mouth. I'm not going to drink it like, like a bird. Is that yours? No. Give me a fresh one. I don't want your cooties. James isn't saying put a smiley face on it. James isn't saying don't worry, be happy. You know, next week Amy's not going to lead us and, and don't worry, be happy. We don't sing that here, right? Right, okay. We're not going to sing, don't worry, be happy. But instead he says, consider it pure joy. And he uses this word consider, which is, uh, the, the word consider here means leading with your mind. In other words, it's, it's not just this emotional response, but it's this mental thing that we do, this thinking thing that we do. And, and James is inviting us to a more mature understanding, a, a more mature faith. He's inviting us to something better than just living by what we feel at the moment. I put it like this. We should be led by what we believe more than what we feel. You know, feelings matter. And, and, and I, am, I have never been a pastor that, that somehow do not believe that our emotions and feelings. You know, we're not all Spocks, right? Anybody know who Spock is? You know, we're, we're not all that. You can throw it. I'll catch it. Yeah, you better make sure the lid's on. Yeah. We're not all mental. You know, we're emotional beings, and emotions aren't God's big mistake. Emotions serve a purpose, but, but emotions cannot rule us. And, and we need to be led by our mind more than our emotions. That so, somehow, that we, we, we have to allow our, our belief system... Oh, guys, pause for a second. Somehow we have to allow our belief system to be a guardrail, if you will, for our emotions. You know, our emotions serve a purpose, and they alert us to certain things in our life. But it's those belief systems and those foundational truths that serve as guardrails in our life and keep us from running off the road and off the cliff. James invites us to an intentional theological consideration 
of our circumstances. Now, that's, that's, that's a big, but, but say with me intentional theological consideration, because it's just fun to say. Intentional theological consideration. Now, we, we know in, in, intentional, you know, that, that's taking time doing it. Theological is it's in essence saying, when I look at my circumstances, I am considering the ideal, the belief, the foundation that there is a God who is involved in my life, who cares about what's going on, that has a plan. And, and so when I'm considering all these things, I am considering it through the lens that God is aware and God cares about what's going on. And there's several things, and there's questions in there in your bulletin. You can you look at them later as well. But what does it mean to intentionally and theologically consider our circumstances? Verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And, and I think the first question we need to ask is, what am I experiencing? <laughs> that sounds basic. Have you ever had this happen where all of a sudden you're in a rotten mood and you can't figure out why you're in a rotten mood, right? Anybody ever have this happen where everything's okay, there's nothing wrong, but just all of a sudden you're going, I feel terrible. And you begin to try to trace back what put you in the rotten mood and what made you depressed, what made you think everything was going haywire. And when you trace it back, it's like there was no more gum in the pack of gum, and it began the whole process. Anybody ever have that happen? I have that happen all the time, you know, where I'm sitting in my car, and I'm driving, and all of a sudden I'm kind of in a bad mood, and I think, why am I in a bad mood? And I think, well, what happened? Oh, that's right. That person honked their horn at me two weeks ago. <laughs> you know, we're kind of like that. And so it's important that we stop and we, we honestly assess what's happening in my life. Can, can, can I determine why this is happening? happening? Why is this circumstance occurring in my life? And sometimes just determining the root of our circumstances is the beginning of our growth because we find out that we are the source of our problems. And now I'm going to give you the deepest theological lesson that you can ever learn. Mature people stop doing stupid things, okay? Now, I know that would sound a lot smarter if I'd use a lot of Greek language, uh, you know, but, but is it not true? Mature people look at the things they do that cause trouble, and they stop doing them. You hear about the guy that goes to the doctor, and the, he says, it hurts when I do this. What's the doctor say? Stop doing that. You know, the beginning of this process is just an honest assessment of what's causing the problems, the issues in your life. In your relationship, if you have a, if you're married or you have a child, and or you know, if you if you're married and you have a child, you will have trouble. Amen. Uh, but you know, every you, you have a a circumstance or a, a conversation, and every time you have that conversation, it ends in a fight. Nobody's ever experienced that, right? You know, with, with my spouse, every time we talk about finances, it turns into a fight. Can I make a suggestion? Find another way to have the conversation. Albert Einstein said the definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over, expecting different results. I believe it's Einstein that said that. So sometimes we start these conversations in the same way, expecting different results. And this, 
maybe you're starting the conversation spouse correctly, but your spouse is not hearing it in the way you intend. You know, maybe, it's, maybe it's browsing the internet. And you find yourself late at night looking at inappropriate sites. Maybe you need to find a way to not allow that to be available late at night. Or you might need to find some way to have some accountability on what you're viewing. Mature people stop doing stupid things. And they are aware of where these activities are leading them. Sometimes circumstances are our own fault. As a matter of fact, next week we'll be talking about this ideal. James talks about temptation and God doesn't tempt. And basically James says, you know, don't blame God for sin in your life. You need to own that yourself because it's what you want. Sometimes circumstances are our own fault and Careful consideration should lead to changed behavior. Can, can I give you a fear I have in the church? We hear, we hear, we hear, we hear, we hear, we hear, we hear. Do we ever change? I, I mean, seriously, and, and this is me too. I mean, how many messages do we hear and how often do we allow God's word? And, and let's get past message. Let's get to God's word. How often do we allow God's word to actually change our behavior? I believe God's word can create change. Verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Now, now sometimes, when we look at the circumstances, we begin to see that it's not something we're doing, that, that, that we're not at blame, and we're, we're trying to figure out what's going on, why is this going on, what do I need to do? And, and, and James invites us to ask God and, and, and ask for God's wisdom. What, what, well, I'm, I'm going to do it just to be, be curious. What response? What's our first resource for the define um, God's wisdom? The Bible. Thank you. <laughs> the Bible. You know something that I've and I've got to think about this. And and I don't know who said it in the first service. And and I understand. I said, what's our first resource for finding God's will? And somebody said prayer. I, I believe in prayer. I do. But I believe prayer teamed with the Word of God. Um, folks, our first resource is the Word of God. Um, if your prayer life doesn't line up, if, if the will that you believe through, the, through prayer is different than the Word of God, guess which is wrong? Uh, we're so subjective in this, and God's Word gives us objective truth and wisdom and guidelines and foundation. So we seek God's word, the, the resource of God's word. And so I'd ask it like this, as we begin this discussion of wisdom and finding wisdom, the question I would ask in my circumstances, what does God's word say about what I'm experiencing? Now, 
the, the commentary writers, when they talk about this word wisdom, and we're talking about God's word, and it, it uses the, it says wisdom does not equate with mere knowledge or intelligence, but adds the practical element of living out what one believes. In other, in other words, to be biblically wise is not just to have biblical knowledge, but to be able to take God's word and understand it and apply it in your life, or attempt to apply it in your life. I mean, let's face it, God's word has more wisdom than, than we're, most of us or incorporate, or any of us are incorporated, I believe. You know, God's wisdom is bigger than my wisdom. and anybody, God's wisdom is bigger than all of our wisdom put together. So wisdom is taking that intelligence and applying it. Has anybody ever known anybody that's really knowledgeable but not very wise? <laughs> Don't look at me, please. There was a guy I worked with for, for a while. Believe it or not, I worked on the railroad. And I actually drove Bikes with a don't I look like that kind of guy? He's like John Henry, and, and I worked. If you don't know who John Henry is, Josh will tell you later. But but anyhow, I, I worked on the railroad, and I worked with a guy that claimed, and I believed him to have a doctorate de degree in philosophy. He had a lot of knowledge, but he wasn't the wisest person I'd ever met in my life. We, we've all encountered people like that, and wisdom is more than knowledge. Wisdom is taking information and somehow applying meaning to it and, and, and applying application to it. You know, I think that's the problem in our age. We live in an information age. We don't live in a wisdom age. You are bombarded by information, but very little of this information is giving any meaning. And that is the important of this, importance of this place. This is the importance of Sunday school. This is the importance of small groups because it's in the context of small group that information is giving meaning through God's word and through others. Well, that's a mouthful, but it's true. Wisdom is more than knowledge. And, and I would use the phrase living beliefs. So ask yourself, what, what should be my living beliefs? How am I applying the information and the knowledge? How does this affect my living belief system, my life, how I live, uh, how I live God's word in my life? In his book, Seized by Truth, author Joel Green says this about Scripture. As Scripture, the Bible is present as an alternate framework within which to construe our lives. In other words, the, the Word of God gives us an alternative way of living. Not just thinking, but living. It's, it's changing the parameters of the way that we do life. So, so the Bible is not simply informational but it's transformational. That, that somehow through the Word of God, our living belief systems are being formed and reformed and recreated. If our living beliefs are inconsistent with the Word, we need to acknowledge that and allow the Bible, the Word of God, the wisdom of God to transform us. Verse 6 says, but when he asked, 
He must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And the imagery he's using here is um, you know, just waves out in the ocean, that there's this inconsistency to them. There's not a, a necessarily a rhythm. There's a rhythm in that you know they're going to occur, but sometimes they're bigger than you expect. Anybody ever tried to... Um, Surf on waves at, at, at the ocean. Who did that? Who's done that? Okay. Like four of you. Uh, anybody ever seen the ocean? Everybody know what the ocean is, right? Okay. You know, they have those waves, and, and you stand at the shore, and, you know, we, you know I, I'm like the, I, I look like a well trying to do these things. You could, the boys do it, and they like, all the way to, this, to the shore, and, you know, sometimes I get one and go like 10 feet, and I'm happy. So, you know, you stand and you watch them. Anybody ever do this? And, and you say, oh, this will be a good one. Then it gets to you, and it's like, <laughs> and you think, oh, this isn't one. And you're not paying attention. It turns you completely upside down. about kills you, right? You, you know, there's no rhyme or rhythm. We don't know what the waves will be. And, and doubts like that, it's this inconsistent up and down life. And, and I, I think it's Doubt in this context, I think it's the contrast between living by foundational living faith, wisdom, and living by your emotions. So I'd ask, what emotions am I experiencing in this circumstance? How am I feeling about what I'm going through? And are my emotions consistent with my living beliefs? Let me give you some examples. I believe my life is fully in God's hand. But emotionally, I feel that everything's out of control. Anybody ever been there? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I've been there. I believe my family belongs to God. But I emotionally cannot let go of my family. I believe this relationship is, is the things that's happening in this relationship is harming my spiritual walk. You know, every time I talk to this person, bitterness and anger spills out. And, and I believe that's contrary to my living faith, but emotionally, I'm just dependent on that friendship. Intentional theologic. Thinking is careful consideration of all these things. And it's, it's putting your life in a balance where you're viewing your circumstances in a correct way. And, and this intentional theological consideration leads to what James calls joy. And, and, and joy is not this being happy about hard times. Hey, I get to suffer. You know, it's not that. It's always funny when people do that fake falsetto. Voice. Let's do it together. Let's, let's do that. Yeah, yeah, I get to suffer. You guys didn't do it. Let's try it again. You just left me do it. You ready? One, two, three. Yay, I get to suffer. <laughs> that was just for me. Thanks. One writer says it like this about joy. Joy may be defined as a settled contentment in every situation or an unnatural reaction to a deep, steady, and unadulterated, thankful trust in God. <laughs> So it's not a constant smile or a constant laugh, but instead joy is this settled, thankful trust in God. Just trust in Him. <laughs> You're not laughing all the time. You're not smiling about everything. You're not, oh great, I get to suffer some more. But you just know that you know that you can trust God regardless. Now this isn't easy. 
Uh, This takes intentional theological consideration, takes time. I mean, you have to be intentional. You have to spend time doing this. You have to spend time in God's Word. It takes prayer. It takes the Word. It takes honesty. Honesty. And it takes others. I believe that if we want to live in this way, it's crucial that we have people that we trust enough that we can share what's going on. So we're going to take another 90 seconds, and I want you to look at your list. And I want you to spend some time praying about your list. Spend some time, if you're sitting by somebody that, that you trust, maybe talk to them. What, what do you think God's trying to do in this circumstance? What, what am I learning? What, what, what's the circumstance? What's the, what do you think? What, what, what should I be learning or doing in the midst of this? We'll take about 90 seconds and I'll get back up. Intentional theological <laughs> consideration is not the end, but it, it, it's a way we approach difficulties. You know, it's a way of thinking that leads us some, somewhere. And, 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 and it's through this, these difficult circumstances that we develop this persistence is, is the word that, that James used. And other translations use endurance or, or patience. And, and this isn't a passive enduring. Instead, it's, it's a militant patient. It's, it's an engaged waiting. It's a waiting with a purpose. When I was growing up, we always had horses. And um, 
our horses were wild and crazy animals. We didn't ride them enough, and so when we, had to, when we wanted to ride them, we had to run these things down. <laughs> you know, and so we'd get out in the field, and, and we didn't have gates in all of our fields, and so you'd try to isolate them to a field, and, and so Dad would stick me in those gaps, and they would say, okay, uh, that horse, if it sees you, it won't run you over. You just need to stand. Anybody ever have this? Anybody else do this? You just stand, and the horse will turn when it sees you. You know, but the horses go, okay, which one looks the scaredest? There he is right there. You know, and they run towards you, woo, and there they go. Um, the word he's talking about is just standing firm. You know, and so as trials come to you, the inclination is to duck and to dive and to try to get out of the way. But, but, but James says, just stand. You know, this almost, I hate to use the word, but almost a stubborn standing in the midst of adversity. And watch how that affects the circumstances. And it's in this persistence that there's a result. The the New American Standard says you may be perfect and complete, not lacking anything. The NIV says you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The King James says you may be perfect and entire. And and perfect's one of those words that we're a little bit uh, uncomfortable with, to say I'm perfect. Not many people would say I'm perfect. You know, we feel uncomfortable using that word in relation to us. We, We understand mature because you can... You just be mature by growing older, right? And so maturity we understand, but perfect in this context has a, a different meaning. It's not without scientific flaw or defect, but, but it's to be complete, fit for use. Last week, we were at the campground, and I was on a, a bucket truck, and so that's me. I, I was 15 feet up. I took t- a picture of me on the bucket truck. said, hey, Terry, I'm 15 feet up, and I'm painting. Then I sent her this picture. You can go off that. This bucket truck was old and decrepit, and, you know, it, it, it was hard to get from one gear to the other gear. And, and when we got back to the, to the shed, um, um, Chris turned the thing off, and I think it's probably still running now. You know, you know it won't shut off. And, you know, but it, but it was fit for its use. It got us up on the side of the building where we could paint. You may feel a bit like that bucket truck at times. You, you may feel like your engine doesn't turn off all the way, and, and, and you may feel like it's hard to get you from one gear to the other, but, but if God can use you for the purpose you're intended to be used, if you can be used for a, the kingdom, there is an element of perfection in you. Look at your neighbor and say, you're perfect. Look, go ahead and tell him, you're perfect, yeah. Fit for use. You guys like that, didn't you? Engaged waiting establishes us as people God can use. (laughs) That's good news, isn't it? Whatever circumstance you're going through, whether it's good or bad, God can use that in a way, a positive way, that you can become a masterpiece, someone he can use for his kingdom, someone that that he can use to to reach others. I, I think I'd put it like this when you're going through difficult circumstances. And this isn't in your notes. You can write this down. I I, I like this. I woke up this morning thinking this. Think what, not why. Think what, not why. What can God do through this circumstance? Um, Ten days ago, I had LASIK eye surgery. 
And so I see you all perfectly, and you are as beautiful as everyone has said, okay? Uh, you know, I, I, for 42 years, I have worn contacts or glasses. As a matter of fact, 42 years ago, I, I can't remember if I was in third grade or fourth grade. In third or fourth grade, I had a girlfriend, and I got glasses, and I came to school the next day, and I no longer had a girlfriend. And I told Terry I didn't want her to feel threatened, but if I could remember this girl's name, I would find her on Facebook, and I would send a picture to her and say, look what you're missing now. But the, the, the surgery, and if you want all the gore, I love gory details, you know, surgeries and stuff. And when I climbed Kilimanjaro, I lost like eight toenails. And every time I lost one, I would send a picture to Dylan or post it on Instagram. And Terry finally said, stop it. It's gross. If you want all the gory details of the eye surgery, I'll give them to you. It was cool. But what if I was laying on the table saying, why is he doing this to me? See, the why wasn't the issue. I knew what. He was making my eyes perfect, complete, fit for use. And so I wasn't consumed with the details of what was going on. James says, God wants to use you entirely. Every fiber of your being, every bit of your life. As a matter of fact, first, the first verse I think is the key to James. James says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Probably the better translation is slave. It's someone in permanent relation of servitude to another, and their will is altogether consumed in the will of the other. And this is how James, this is the key to his radical faith, the beginning of it. I am a slave to God. My will, my desires, my plans, they are all secondary to what God wants to do in my life. Now, now, I want you to understand that when James uses this ideal of a slave to God, this isn't a bad thing. It's a positive thing. He's just not a slave to anyone, but he's a slave to the most high God. Moses was a slave to God. Paul was a slave to God. Joshua was a slave to God. Jesus was a slave to God. So there's this submission, but there's also this submission to something that's bigger and better than what we live for in this world. This awesome title of position. Stand with me if you will. We're going to close in prayer. Are you willing to be a slave to God? <laughs> That, that's what James asked. Are, are you willing just to be a slave to God? Can, can I tell you, just personally, as I've given myself as a slave to God, I have found life. Not worse, better. There's nothing that I've given up for God that what he's not given me in return is not more significant and more valuable. We didn't have an altar time at the first service, and you know may, maybe nobody feels, but all heads bowed, all eyes closed. I just feel like we need to wait, you know, 30 seconds. If you'd like to come and pray, maybe there's something you're going through and you just need to see it a different way, we're going to wait, and then I'm going to close this in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, um, 
I want radical faith. I want to live like James, where I'm just a slave to you. Lord, I know in my life when I've, when I've given it all and, and Lord, as you've blessed and, and Lord, the temptation is to just kind of pull it off the altar, to kind of do things on our own. And Lord, it seems like to be a slave to God would be a less way to live. But my living faith, my living beliefs, the wisdom of your word says that life is found in dying to self and living for God. Lord, I pray that you'll help us. If our desires, what we emotionally are striving after is different than your word, reveal it. And Lord, as you reveal it, may we... um, May we be honest enough to come before you with a, a spirit of confession and, and, and just allowing you to work fresh in our life. Lord, if our will is wrong, change it. Give us a will for you, a desire for you, to grow closer to you and, and to be molded by your word. I pray, Lord, that um, we'll not just be merely hearers of your word, but doers of your word. That as you've spoken today, and, and Lord, if I've spoken in any unfit way or any, any way that's not pleasing to you, where you allow your Holy Spirit just to, to work fresh with your word. Uh, Lord, may your word form us today, transform us, and change us. Now, Lord, we don't want to belittle any circumstance anybody's going through. Life can be awful tough. And, Lord, we can feel so alone. And so, Lord, if any part of this message sounds like a, well, just smile through it, Lord, may, um, may we realize that others are here for a reason. That, Lord, we can find encouragement and we can find help even in our darkest days. So help us, Lord, to strive for you, to seek your wisdom, to, to seek your word, to find time to pray, and to find time with others. And Lord, in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, may we allow it to grow us in a way that makes us perfect, mature, and complete. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless.